now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing. To many people, I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him... I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Last few Sundays, we've been taking a close look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Just to quickly review some of the things we've been talking about concerning the cross of Jesus. The very first message, we began by emphasizing the centrality of the cross to what we believe and to what we preach. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the, the passage that we have been using as the foundation text for this series on the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 17 to 25. The Apostle Paul writes here, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So Paul is saying, I'm here to preach the gospel. The gospel is the message about the cross of Christ. And I am to preach it not with wisdom of words. My dependence is not on my eloquent speaking or the kinds of words that I pick to communicate the message. The gospel is the message of the cross of Christ. And verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, so this message of the cross, although it sounds foolish, it's foolishness to many people, for us who, who are saved, we know that this is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. It brings God's power into our lives. And he continues, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Paul is making very clear that the world by wisdom, its own intellectual abilities, cannot know God. By our own abilities, by our own understanding, we are unable to connect with God. No matter how profound the philosophy, no matter how deep the, the thinking, our intellect is, doesn't enable us to reach God. But what has God chosen? Paul says God has chosen the foolishness of the message of the cross being preached to save people. And we need to get this deep down in our hearts. 
that even though the message of the cross may seem foolish, and the sharing of this message may seem foolish, God has ordained that through this, He would save people. You know, let's face it. Many of us wish that God had given us something more intellectually appealing to talk to others about. I wish you'd given me a message that, you know, I could impress my colleagues with and they would think I'm brilliant and I'm, I'm believing something very amazing. But here I have to go tell them, you know, you're, you're a sinner. Your sins are taken to hell. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose up again. You believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. Doesn't sound very intellectually appealing. And uh, honestly, many of, many of us try to complicate the message in order to impress our hearers. Relax. God has chosen the foolishness of the preaching of the message of the cross to save those who believe. Amen. So don't try to pretend to impress people. It is a message that people will consider foolish. Paul's time, people did it. So also now people will consider the message foolish. But yet this is the power of God. It will save those who believe. And Paul had the same problem with his audience as we had mentioned earlier. Verse 22, the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek for wisdom. Even in Paul's time, his audience, there were some who were Jewish. They wanted something spectacular. The Greeks were intellectuals. They wanted something to appeal to their intellect. So this was the audience that Paul was preaching to. What did Paul do? He didn't change the message just to appeal to people. Verse 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul says, I'm not changing my message. It is the same message. Whether they are Jews or whether they are Greeks. Whether they are people who go after the supernatural or whether they are people who go after the intellectual. I preach the same message. The message is the message of the cross. That Christ was crucified. He was buried. He rose up again. Now to the Greeks it sounds foolishness. To the Jews it's an offense. But to those who believe this is both the wisdom of God. It's the brilliance of God put on display. And it is the power of God that can save, that can heal, that can deliver, that can set a person free. So I don't change the message. Amen. So when you go to your school, when you go to your college, when you go to your place of work, and you're about to talk to your friend, and and you're saying, okay, I'm supposed to share Jesus with them, but this message sounds so foolish. Don't think of it that way. Remember that this message is the wisdom of God, and it is the power of God. It will transform any person who believes it. So share it with confidence. As simple as the message sounds, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose up again. As simple as this message sounds, share it with confidence. Like Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to those who believe. Amen. Now this morning, I want to pick up on what Paul said here. He said, this message is the wisdom of God. And so we want to talk about The wisdom of the cross this morning. On the cross, Paul is saying, God's brilliance, God's wisdom is put on display, is revealed for us. And so we want to examine the cross from that perspective. What can we understand about God's wisdom and what did God do in His wisdom on the cross? 
is what we want to look at this morning. The wisdom of the cross. To help us understand that, I've broken the message down into just three simple key areas. First is substitution. Second, atonement. And third, redemption. We see the wisdom of God revealed in all of these three aspects on the cross where Jesus died. And let's examine each one of them closely. Substitution. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. The word for is a very small word, but that's the word that teaches us about substitution. That Jesus on the cross went there for us in our place. He became our substitute. He tasted death for us. We were the ones who were supposed to die, but he did it on our behalf. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Substitute. He died in our place. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. As a substitute for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He was just. But he took the place of those who were unjust in order to bring them to God. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We were the ones upon whom the curse was placed. But he took our place. He became a curse in our stead for us. So on the cross, we see this great drama or this great expression of substitution unveiled to us. That word for in the Greek that is used in all these verses simply means instead of, in place of, on behalf of, as a substitute for. So substitution means Jesus became what we were. He stepped into our place. He went there on our behalf. Now think through this with me. We all were sinners. Which means I cannot be a substitute for you. Because I have my own sins to pay for. And you can't be a substitute for me because you have your own sins to pay for. So in order to find a substitute, there had to be a perfect sinless man. Only he is qualified. To be a substitute for somebody else. But in order for a perfect sinless man. It was impossible for that man to be of human origin. Because the entire human race was under sin. The only way it could happen. Was if deity took on humanity. That was the only way. No great guru. No brilliant philosopher. No godly Holy man could ever become a substitute because he or she has his own sins to pay for. 
The only way you can find a perfect substitute for mankind is if deity became humanity. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. To the natural eye, it appeared that a man was suffering. But really, the work that was happening in the spiritual world was that deity was taking the place of humanity. Deity wrapped in humanity was becoming a substitute for the entire human race. Amen. That's what happened on the cross. When Jesus was nailed there, I'm not diminishing any of the physical suffering that he went through, but the real work was spiritual. There was something beyond what the natural eye could see. The eyes of the Roman soldiers and the Jewish people saw the wounds, the blood, the hurt, the pain, the cries, the agonies. But in the realm of the spirit, deity was becoming a substitute for humanity. And so what was the outcome? Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The one who knew no sin became sin. He was our substitute. So what happens? The people who were substituted now enjoy a benefit. Second Corinthians 8.9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Substitution. He died so that we could live. He was thrown away from God so that we can be brought to God. He became sin so that we who are sinners could become righteous. He became poor. So that we who are poor could be made rich. He took our place here on earth. To give us a place with him. In heaven. He became what we were. So that we could share in who he is. As our substitute. Amen. And you heard this. The son of God became The son of man, so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. Amen. For us, in our place, instead of us, on our behalf. So substitution teaches me that God loves me immensely. So much that he would take my place. For God commends his love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us as our substitute. So God is saying, look how much I love you. I love you so much that I will take your place. I would become what you were. I would go down to your level. I would get into your sins. That's how much I love you. Amen. So two things for us to remember. One, never question God's love for you. He has put it on display once and for all to try to prove to you and me in a very convincing way that He loves us. Amen? He took our place. He went in our stead. He became what we were. And He's saying, I did this because I want to show you my love. And secondly, since He became our substitute, please don't nail yourself. Amen? How many of us Christians, we keep nailing ourselves over and over again 
as though what Jesus did as our substitute was in some way incomplete. It was in some way lacking. You get up in the morning, you get up late, and you start nailing yourself. God doesn't love me, I woke up late. Come on. Don't you do that? You get upset with yourself. And so you try to crucify yourself. You don't need Roman soldiers. You don't need Jewish people. You don't need false witnesses. You are your own terrible slave master. You crucify yourself thinking that in some way you could make up for what Christ failed to do. No, listen. When he went there for you and me as our substitute, he said, it is finished. Katamogia. It is over. I've done the job. I've taken your place. I've finished everything I needed to do for you. Now you just need to embrace the blessing. What comes to us because of his substitutionary work. Which means he became what we were so that we could become what he is. Embrace that. He is righteousness. So are you. He is at the right hand of the father. So are you. He is welcome in the presence of the Father. So are you. Why? He became what we were. So that we could become what he is. Amen. The second dimension of the wisdom of God. Displayed on the cross of Christ. Has to do with atonement. What is atonement? In as much as God loves you and me. He cannot blindly overlook sin. He cannot just write it off. As though it never was committed. God's justice demands that sin has to be judged. Sin has its wages and somebody has to pay for it. That is the demand of God's justice because God is not only a God of love, He's also a holy God of justice. So in atonement, this is what happened. Jesus took upon Himself the judgment that had to come upon sin and the sinner. The wrath of God, Paul says, is revealed against all unrighteousness. Means there is the wrath of God waiting to fall on all sin and those who are in it. But in atonement, that wrath of God, that judgment of God was placed upon Christ. And what was the outcome? Let's look at some scriptures here. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 to 16 it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, that is the Jews and the Greeks, Gentiles one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are reconciled, made a friend to God through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The enmity that existed between fallen sinful man and a holy, just, and righteous God was taken out of the way because of the atonement. Colossians brings it out even further. Colossians 1, 19-22. Paul writes, For it pleased the Father, That in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him, that is Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. 
having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated, you were far away from God. Enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. We who were enemies with God, we who are far away from God, because of the atoning work of Christ on the cross, today we stand as friends of God. We stand holy, righteous, and blameless, accepted in God's presence. There is no more anger. There is no more judgment hanging over your head. It's all gone. It's removed out of the way. And all God sees is favor upon your life. It's been atoned for. Paul puts it like this in Romans 3, 23 to 26. He says, For all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. However, we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation, meaning an atonement by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because of the cross, God can freely pardon sin and still be just. He will not violate his justice in any way. He says, you come to me. I declare you free from guilt. You don't have to pay for your sins, nothing. You're free, you're forgiven. But how could he do it? Because Jesus Christ took the price, paid the price. He bore the judgment for our sins. Amen. So that's atonement. That on the cross, Jesus would bear upon himself the judgment that had to come on every sinner, that had to come on you and me because of sin. It was laid on Jesus. So that today, we can walk directly into God's presence, have access into his presence as his friends, be reconciled to God. So Paul says in Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have access into this grace in which we stand. We stand before God in a place of grace, divine favor. Amen. So atonement teaches me that God wants a relationship with me so much so that he would himself would pay a great price to make it possible. How much do you think God wanted to have you as his friends? God was so desperate to have you as his friend that he went and took the whole price of judgment for your sin and my sin, paid it all, bore it all, so that today you and I could be reconciled or be made his friends and have a relationship with him. Amen. That's how deeply God values the relationship He has with you and with me. Some of us think, you know, I'm doing a great job trying to relate to God. Forget it. He reached out to you before you reached out to Him. Amen? He paid the price to move the enmity out of the way that you and I could be reconciled to God. God wants you 
as his friend and he paid the price to have you as his friend. So never question, never doubt the fact that God wants you as his friend. The fact that God holds nothing against you. So many of us Christians, believers, we walk with this mindset that, you know, I think God's angry with me. Listen, all of that anger against sin was poured already on Jesus. It's gone. It's taken out of the way. He's moved it. Amen. The atonement has been made. You are a friend of God. And God wants you as his friend. He wants you to engage with him as a friend. Without any sense of guilt and condemnation and fear that he might drop a judgment bomb on you. It's gone. The last thing about redemption has to do with the payment of a ransom. To redeem simply means to set free, to release from debt, to release from bondage. Because of the fall, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, man went into a great debt because of a sin. He came under subjection or in slavery to sin, Satan, and death. He became a slave. There was a great debt that was owed in the court of heaven. And until that debt was paid, God could not legally decree that you have been released from sin, Satan, and all the consequences of the fall. He couldn't do it because there was a debt that was owed in the court of heaven. The only way that debt could be paid was if there was a price and we call the price the ransom. So mankind by default is a slave in bondage, in subjection. To sin, to the devil, to sickness, to disease, to everything that came into the world because of the fall. We are in subjection to it. We owed a huge debt that we could never pay. So what did Jesus do? He came. And on the cross, he offered himself up as that ransom, as that price. Look, for instance, in Matthew, the 20th chapter, the 28th verse, Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I am giving my life as this ransom. I am giving my life as this debt-canceling payment. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says this, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Your debt's been paid. He became your ransom. So that when the debt that we owe because of our sin, which brought us into slavery to sin, Satan, sickness, disease, and everything of the fall, when that debt that we owed was paid, God could legally say, I release you therefore from your slavery, from your bondage to sin, sickness, disease, Satan, everything of the fall, including death. And we begin to legally enjoy the blessings, the joy of our redemption now. And it will culminate when our weak bodies are resurrected and put on immortality. Amen. The ransom, the price has been paid. Your debt's cancelled. You are legally free. Amen. That's redemption. Now just one point here. When Jesus paid the debt, he didn't pay it to the devil. Because God owes Satan nothing. When Jesus paid the debt, he paid it to God. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 says that Jesus, through the eternal spirit, 
offered himself unto God. Here's the wisdom. Man owed a debt he could never pay. He owed the debt to God. So God stepped into where man was and as a man paid the debt he owed himself. And the debt's clear. God paid the debt as a man. Amen. Your debt's canceled. Jesus paid it. He gave his life, his blood as a ransom. So the debt that Adam owed, we just accumulated and was passed on to you and me, has been paid. So we are redeemed, released from bondage and slavery to sin, to sickness, to Satan, to this lawless world. And the Bible has a lot to say on it. We are redeemed from our empty way of life. We are redeemed from this present evil world. We are redeemed from the dominion of darkness. Meaning Satan has no legal entitlement to you or over you. You have been legally set free through the payment of the ransom on the cross. You are redeemed. So redemption teaches me that God desires so much to restore me from the fall. That he would himself pay a great price to make it possible. How much do you think God wants you and me to be free from sin and bondage to sin? How much do you think God wants you and me to be free from the dominion of Satan and any demonic work? So much that he himself would pay the debt to set you and me free. Amen. So never for one moment think that, you know, that maybe I'm supposed to live this way and sin for the rest of my life and just barely make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Never think that, you know, maybe I've got to live in poverty and sickness and disease and, and all these evil things that have come into the world because of the fall and just barely make it heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ paid the price to redeem you from the fall so that you and I can begin to walk in the liberty that we have in Christ. Amen. Have you, you know, it's like this. If the prison door is open, you have a choice. You can still stay in the prison because you get free meals every day. Or you can go out and be a liberated person and live a liberated life. The choice is yours. Unfortunately, many Christians want to still stay in the prison. There's too great a price that was paid. It's time to walk out. Amen. The prison doors were open a long time ago when Jesus died on the cross. You are redeemed. You've been set free. Paul sums it up all of this so brilliantly in Romans chapter 5 verses 14 to 21 when he talks about the one to many thing. One man Adam was disobedient so many became sinners. One man Jesus was obedient so many have been declared righteous. One man Adam sinned and so death came upon many. One man Jesus was sinless so many have received life. One man was disobedient, so judgment passed on many. One man was obedient, so many received the grace, mercy, and favor of God. One man sinned, so many became slaves. One man was obedient, so many were released to rule and reign in life. One man sinned, many lost sonship. One man was obedient, so many regained sonship. The wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God revealed in the cross of Jesus substitution he took my place he became what i was so i could become what he is he tells me he loves me so deeply 
atonement. He took upon himself the judgment that God had to pour out against sin and the sinner. So today I can stand as a friend of God. Nothing between God and me. The enmity has been removed. He became my redemption. He paid the ransom. The debt's been paid. I'm no longer in bondage. I can choose to live free. I don't have to be a slave to sin, to sickness, disease, any work of the devil. I am redeemed. Amen. The wisdom of God on the cross. If there's anyone here this morning and you've never believed in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, I want you to pray a simple prayer right where you are and say, Jesus, I embrace you as my Lord and my Savior. As the one who died for my sins, no other man could ever have done this for me. No godly man, no godly woman, no guru, no philosopher, no good man could ever have done this. Only the God of glory who became my substitute could do this. I receive you as my Savior, the one who saves me from my sins. Take my life, Lord Jesus. Help me to be your disciple. Help me to follow you. If you just pray that simple prayer, I tell you it will be the beginning of a great grand new life with Jesus Christ. I want you to do it right this moment. Just pray and say, Jesus, I believe in you as my Savior. And Lord, this morning we just want to thank you so much for taking our place on the cross and for what you did for us on the cross. And because we believe, Lord, we proclaim our faith in what you did. We declare that we are redeemed. We are at peace with God. We are in a position of grace before God. We thank you. We're grateful, God. We just thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we just pray that as much as you've paid such a great price for us by sending Jesus to die for us on the cross, we ask that each one of us will walk in it, experience it in our lives, experience the power of the cross in our lives. We thank you. We bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. God bless you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.